edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that believes if it's podcast time, you ain't sick. Hello, I'm Andrew Halkrow, although I sound like Elmer Fudd today. I am your host for this podcast. With me, as always, is my man, Van Sanders. Mr. Sanders, how are you doing this fine episode? I'm doing all right, but I am a little concerned about your voice, though. I'm hoping you're not too sick. And at any rate, uh, I hope you get better soon. Well, thank you for those get well wishes. I uh, will endeavor to do so. All right. As always, I want to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. Today on With All Due Respect, in politics, we're going to talk about the 11th hour negotiations in Juneau and what's at risk if there is no agreement. And in entertainment, we'll review a book by a great local journalist and one of my, just my favorite people. All of this and more in under 15 minutes. Although, I'm not promising anything today. All right, let's talk some politics. Politics. And now, for some politics. With June 18th, the last day of the legislative special session approaching, lawmakers continue to be deadlocked on approving a budget and a dividend amount. In a clever way to make lawmakers compromise, the House and Senate leaders tied everything together, so you either took it all or you took none of it. If the proposal doesn't gain enough votes for passage, the state of Alaska faces a government shutdown on July 1st. The biggest issue is the size of the dividend. While the compromise calls for a $1,100 dividend, which would be a sustainable draw and would protect the fund, opponents are demanding a $2,300 dividend. Now, as we have spoken before on this podcast, and I will say it really slow so everyone understands the severity of this, A $2,300 dividend paid today would create crippling taxes tomorrow. There has not been one person that has testified in legislative committees that says a supersized dividend makes financial sense. Not one. But the worst thing about this is what these lawmakers are doing to our economy, a struggling economy, an economy just emerging from a pandemic, an economy that's desperate for investment. Not only are lawmakers who support a supersized dividend apparently okay with overspending the fund, they are also willing to risk over $86 million in needed capital improvements. And here is the absolute kick in the pants. The lawmakers from the Matsu Borough who are demanding a supersized dividend have the most to lose. Their constituents have the most to lose. Over $32 million of the proposed $86.5 million in infrastructure upgrades benefits the Matsu Borough exclusively. In this budget for the Matsu Borough, $10 million for road repairs, $2.3 million to repair the roof at the Palmer Veterans and Senior Home. These investments create jobs and pump money into the local economy, exactly what we need to be doing. Highlighting the insanity of the greed in the State House and Senate, one Valley representative opposed the proposal by saying, quote, she wanted to give more money away to the private sector so the private sector could help move our economy along. Now, 
let me explain how moments after making these comments, this particular legislator screwed her entire district out of $100 million. The current population of the Matsu Borough is 108,000 people. It is the fastest growing area in this state and has been for decades. Under the budget proposal that Matsu lawmakers voted down, it would have provided an $1,100 dividend that would have resulted in $118 million in direct economic impact for their constituents. Let me repeat that. An $1,100 dividend would have resulted in $118 million in their constituents' pockets. Plus, the budget included $32.5 million in needed community infrastructure upgrades for the Matsu. I mean, you're talking about the fastest growing region in the state. These people need damn good roads. But instead, they voted against the proposal, which now will only pay their constituents a $525 dividend, which will provide only a $56 million in direct economic benefits to their constituents, and they'll get nothing for infrastructure. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a loss of $100 million in economic relief to the Matsu Borough. This is absolute lunacy. James Brooks, writing in the Anchorage Daily News on the topic, wrote, quote, Senator Roger Holland, Republican Anchorage, is one of the lawmakers who supported a larger dividend and said he will vote no and may quit the Senate's Republican-led majority. Now, of course, Holland was one of the candidates supported by Governor Dunleavy, who defeated incumbent Senator Kathy Giesel in the Republican primary. Now, this guy represents Senate District N, which is Hillside to Portage, a district that covers some pretty upper-middle-class neighborhoods. I would think that the fact that their state senator is going to risk property tax relief, scholarships for Alaska students, and $86 million in infrastructure improvement all being held hostage because we want more money handed out. These lawmakers are holding Alaska hostage because a billion dollars paid out to Alaskans in free cash isn't enough. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a very strong and bitter cocktail of ignorance and greed. Now, what's Governor Dunleavy been doing? On Tuesday, an action alert sent out by Restore the PFD Facebook page encouraged the public to demand lawmakers oppose the budget-slash-dividend proposal. However, the Dunleavy administration said the message was not authorized or approved by the governor, saying while the governor, quote, strenuously opposes the dividend amount proposed in the budget plan, he did not authorize any advocacy efforts to urge votes one way or the other on the bill, the statement said. This, ladies and gentlemen, this is what they call in politics plausible deniability. It was somebody else on a Facebook page, even though the page is controlled by the governor's office. I mean, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, this is absolutely twilight zone area, even for Governor Dunleavy. Instead of facilitating compromises between the House and Senate, Governor Dunleavy is encouraging his followers in the legislature to bring 20% of Alaska's economy to a screeching halt. I think what bothers me the most about Dunleavy is he just doesn't even give a damn anymore. Seriously, I mean, the dude has turned into, like, Eva Perone, appearing on the balcony every so often to wave, offer promises of cash, and then he disappears back into his echo chamber. Dunleavy wants to kill a proposal that would pay an affordable dividend, fund critical budget functions, and invest over $86 million in needed improvements, including almost 50% that's going to his own hometown. He's doing all of this because he's willing to draw the line to send out more cash to the public. He is willing to shut state government down to get it. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, look, this isn't a disagreement over policy where you can find disagreements in every word or paragraph. This is straight up math. And the math says that the path that Governor Dunleavy keeps pushing Alaska down leads to a $1.5 billion hole with no way out. 
Meanwhile, the legislature has offered him an olive branch. They've offered him a way out. Hey, let's put the dividend amount aside and focus on working on things we agree on, and let's save the things we disagree on for another day. I mean, imagine if Dunleavy stood up and said, hey, you know what? My promises are unrealistic. Alaska is in a different position now. We need to take a more comprehensive approach to addressing the dividend along with potential new revenue measures. However, Emerson must have been thinking about Governor Mike Dunleavy when he wrote, quote, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Governor Dunleavy's foolish consistency on demanding a supersized dividend and his refusal to set aside today's dividend politics for yesterday's very clear financial conclusion is all the proof you need. The guy is just trying to burn it all down before he walks out the door. So, what's happening in the halls of Juno? On the House side, they've tried to take several stabs at this. Still, nothing has passed. In the state Senate, seems like they got a lot more problems. There is even uncertainty if the Senate has 11 votes to pass a basic budget to avoid a government shutdown. There's a feeling among some lawmakers that Machiki wants to vote yes and wants to vote for this budget, but needs additional cover. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the cross of PFD politics. Lawmakers like Peter Machiki know this is bad policy, know it's bad for Alaska's future, and knows he's doing the state a disservice. But they're being pinned down by primary politics. They're worried about becoming the next Kathy Giesel or John Coghill. But quite frankly, with Alaskans adopting ranked choice voting, this isn't a Hobson's choice anymore. I mean, these conditions do not exist anymore. If Machiki wanted to, if he wanted to have a backbone and he wanted to be able to look his constituents in the eye and say he did the right thing, he and others could come to the middle. They could pay an affordable dividend. They could approve a budget that keeps Alaska open and makes $86 million in infrastructure upgrades possible. The common thought at podcast time was if an agreement could not be reached, Governor Dunleavy would call them back into special session in July. Unfortunately, if an agreement cannot be reached, that means there is a good chance state government will shut down and Governor Dunleavy will have another 30 days to use the resources, the money, the power of his office to pressure lawmakers to approve a plan that will bankrupt Alaska. And now, entertainment. All right, let's talk some entertainment. More specifically, let's talk about a book written by one of my all-time just favorite people. As immigration continues to shape Anchorage into one of the most ethnically diverse cities in the country, Alaska's changing food cultures continues to reflect the tension between self-reliance and longing for distant places or faraway homes. So how are Alaskans bridging this gap? In warm home kitchens and remote cafes, Alaskan food brings people together, creating community and excitement in canning salmon, slicing muktuk, and savoring fresh berry pies. The book is called The Whale in the Cupcake, Stories of Subsistence, Longing, and Community in Alaska. It's written by one of my favorite journalists and just favorite great people, Julie O'Malley. This collection features interviews, photographs, and recipes by O'Malley, who is a James Beard Award-winning journalist and third-generation Alaskan. She touches on issues of subsistence, climate change, innovation, interdependence, and community. Julia's book reveals how Alaskans connect with the land and each other through food. In every chapter, there's a different voice from a different place in Alaska where people from top local chefs to everyday cooks make the most what they can of the ingredients they can find. 
I just love this book, but my favorite chapter was called Finding Produce in Alaska's Winters Takes Wiles and Luck. Look, I love this chapter so much because during the winter months, there is no shortage of expensive, overripe fruit dotting the produce aisles of my local cars. In fact, buying a pint of strawberries at cars has become like the only experience I have left to renting a video at Blockbuster. It's the same damn thing. I stand in the aisle for 20 minutes. I pick up every container and look at it thoroughly, only to settle on the very first one I picked up. However, in this chapter, O'Malley highlights the lengths to which some customers will go to get an order of fresh fruit, even arranging to get text messages from produce managers when something new comes in. All in all, this book is the quintessential Julie O'Malley. Her writing always makes you feel so good inside. Her writing makes you feel like you've known these Alaskans your entire life. This past week, I reached out to Julia and asked her, hey, what was your favorite part of writing the book? She said the favorite part of writing the book was asking Alaskans how to make things and then really trying to tease out what was unique about how they cook, eat, and feel about food. Once again, the book is called The Whale and the Cupcake, Stories of Subsistence, Longing, and Community in Alaska. It's written by Julie O'Malley, checks in at 161 pages. It's not only a great read if you're an Alaskan, but it is a fabulous gift to send to your friends and family outside of Alaska. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there's the music. That means our time is up. Mr. Sanders, how about throwing us those website details? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if you visit abodabobrand.com, that's A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see a little bit more about what I do and uh, touch base with me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's our time, and we thank you for yours.